slight improvements as I told you and so we're going to be headed up there pray that for that and how that goes tomorrow uh, and then I also want you to be in prayer we did we never did mention this throughout the week but Mike and Heather Crop, uh, Mike's grandmother passed away this last week and uh, they were having some viewing for them and she was just a, an integral part of that family really was the matriarch of that family and so uh, just pray for the whole crop family is there saying goodbye to that loved one, uh, and so please be praying for them as well. Also, I have here uh, Jerry Webb. He is having surgery tomorrow morning, and also pray for Wesley Hensley. He just found out he has prostate cancer, so let's be praying for them. That's from Betty Blevins. Let's remember Mike and Linda Cantwell. Mike is, the uncle, uh, Mike is my uncle, and he had a stroke on Thursday. They still don't know uh, how severe, 
it was because of he's on a vent uh, and he's still too groggy. And this is from Sandy Rowland. So let's be praying for uh, Mike Cantwell, lifting him up in prayer. All right, well, we're going to open up and ask the Lord to bless us, bless these prayer requests, but then also bless us as we come to worship him this evening. And Adam, if you don't mind, just stand up where you are. Adam, open us up in a word of prayer.
just got a few announcements, and we want you to remember uh, that Tuesday night, youth group is going to Guppy Gulch. Please be here by 420. All right, remember that. It's $17 a person. Uh, they'll be returning around 845. All that information is in there. Uh, and you can see Becky Beamer if you've got any questions about that. Background checks. Remember to get all that stuff together. Next week is homecoming. So remember that combined morning service at 1030. No Sunday school. Combined morning service at 1030. Then we'll have lunch. And then we'll come back over here for a singing. We're looking forward to homecoming. And then we'll kick off VBS 2023, Keepers of the Kingdom. It's going to be great. We're looking forward to that. All right, at this time, we'll have our ushers come for our Sunday evening tithes and offerings. Here they come. Man, I had another volunteer tonight. Carter, why don't you pray over the offering? Lord, thank you for the wonderful day that we get to come into your house and worship you, dear Lord. Please be with Mike, give him the words that he needs. And dear Lord, we pray for everyone that needs help. Lord, I don't remember the prayer request, but we know you do. And dear Lord, please bless everything that goes on tonight and let us have a great night in your name. First, second, last verse. Everybody stand. last verse soon is coming back
As I look back on all of my days So many times, so many ways I have been blessed And all I can say is God is still good Sometimes the night brings sorrow and pain Sometimes my tears, they flow like rain But through it all Some place their trust in the wisdom of another. Some search for light in the dark. But like a child, I have come for simple faith. For the only one who can change my heart. I believe God. I believe. 
Take somebody's hand as the choir comes down. with me this evening in your Bibles, Zechariah chapter number four, it's no mystery where we're going, <clears throat> Zechariah chapter number four, it's 14 verses in the book of, in chapter four of Zechariah, we're going to read them all tonight, most of these have been pretty short chapters as we've moved through the book of Zechariah. You remember what we're doing, hopefully, in the book of Zechariah or what Zechariah himself is doing. He is encouraging God's people to do the work. They've returned from the land of Babylon. You remember that. And there's work to be done. There's things to do. And he's encouraging them in the fact that, as we've seen over and over, in the fact that Jesus Christ is visible and a part of it. There's redemption there's future kingdom that awaits. There's just so much stuff. And we looked at that as it pertains to uh, the riders on the horse and, uh, and those that would represent Christ and 
the plans that God has for us in the measuring of the city. But tonight we're going to look at one of, uh, in a way, the most unique, but in also another way, one that represents itself throughout Scripture as well. So if you found Zechariah chapter number 4, stand with me. We'll start reading verse number 1. We'll read right the way down through verse number 14. We'll ask the Lord to help us, and then we'll preach this evening. The Bible says this, And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. He said to me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and the seven pipes to the seven lamps which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, cryings, grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then I answered and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, What be those two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empties the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered and said, Knowest not thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Again, for the opportunity to be here in your house tonight. And uh, we're thankful for the Word of God that comes to us in this way. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Dear Lord, uh, I believe that uh, there is some encouragement for your people in these words. Dear Lord, just as it was encouraging for them to hear it in the days of Zechariah, in the days of Zerubbabel, I believe that these things can also Encourage us as well. Dear God, I pray that you would use us. Dear Lord, we, we see similarities and we see those things. But what brings the most encouragement from this, this passage of Scripture specifically is that in the Lord there is power 
Spirit, there is power. Dear God, I pray that our focus would be on those things that are of the most important. That the Spirit of God would be present what we do, what we say. Dear God, all is vain, lest the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. Help us, dear God, understand how much we need the Spirit of God resting upon our church, on our ministries, on our families, every part of what we do. Praise you for what you do in our hearts and our lives tonight. In Christ's wonderful name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So even though the vision that Zechariah receives here in this vision is a little bit, really not that odd in a lot of ways, but in some ways it kind of is, I guess you would say. But it's, hard, it's not hard to describe and it's really not hard to, to picture in your mind, really. And what you see here is you see a lamp, a lamp that has seven candlesticks, as it were. And oftentimes, if you'll do some searching and some studying on that, they'll bring you that representation of the menorah that is in the temple, that piece of, of tabernacle and temple furniture of a lampstand with seven candlestick holders on it. And you've seen that oftentimes as it is still a prominent figure uh, for Jewish culture and Jewish worship even to this day. And so we would see that and understand that kind of a picture of seven lamp candlestands with those lamps. And then on top of that you have a bowl, a bowl that is filled with oil, and from that bowl is flowing the oil from it to each uh, of the candlesticks that you see there. And then that oil is supplied by two olive trees on either side of it. Olive oil was the most prominent oil during that time in the land of Israel that they would use to burn in their lamps, that they would use to anoint with, that they would use, and again, you could bring all kinds of things from that. And we'll make mention of that in just a moment with a few of those. But you see there that you have the supply of the oil that is coming from those two trees. And right there you see that we have brought to you the explanation of the vision that he sees. Even though we can describe it very easily, I think we would be like Zechariah and say, what in the world does that mean, right? You got two trees that are supplying oil to a bowl that is passing down through and supplying these seven different lamps or lanterns or candlesticks with light. What in the world is going on? So, we'll give you just a little bit of that explanation. And as you can imagine, I kind of want to go backwards as it would be a little bit and I want to look at the light, the candlesticks, the oil, and then finally end up with the olive trees themselves and look at them that way in regards to what we have right here. It's really not hard when you start breaking it down and look at it that way. The first one we're not going to spend a lot of time on, but the seven lamps in this case and for Zechariah and for those that would be there, would represent the nation of Israel. 
seven being of perfection, seven being of the candlesticks that they're already used to, knowing and seeing it uh, as a symbol of Judaism and as a symbol of their worship in the tabernacle. This is something that they're used to. Also, the light that goes out from them is again relating to us specifically of the time of Zerubbabel and of Zechariah that the nation of Israel is the light of the world. It is by them and through them that the glory of God is revealed to all of the nations. It's through them that He's revealed to them in the fact that salvation is only going to come by Judaism and the keeping of the Jewish customs during that time. You remember that, right? How are you going to get saved? You're going to become a Jew. You're going to follow the Jewish customs. You're going to do what they do and follow those things. Not only are they a light of the world in that sense, but they also are a light of the world in the fact that this is how God is going to deal with people. What does God say to His nation of Israel over and over? If you walk in my ways, I will bless you, right? But if you do not walk in my ways, I will punish you, right? So the rest of the world can see and understand that God is a just God, and He is not just... He, this is how He is going to deal with people, through righteousness, through justice, and through the correct patterns. He is a just God. And so if I come to God, I can expect that God is going to be just. Amen? Now, the interesting part about that for all of us is that when we start to get a proper perspective of ourselves and realize that we are sinners before God, and then we come to God knowing that justice is demanded, what does that make us realize? That we got a problem with God, right? Right? And that we're in need of a Savior. In the Old Testament times, they would come and they would say, we need a sacrifice. We need atonement for the sins. And on that once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and provide a sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the sins of all the people. But you remember in the book of Hebrews that Jesus Christ went into the temple, into the tabernacle, not made with hands, in the heavens, uh, and He presented Himself as a sacrifice for the people once and for all. Amen? And in that, He instituted a new form of coming to God and knowing God. And then as a representation to the people and as a representation to the world, we passed from the Jewish people into the age of the church. And in the book of Revelations chapter number 1, the Bible says that Jesus Christ Himself walked amongst the seven golden candlesticks. The light of the world. The seven churches of Asia. I don't want to get into all of that tonight, but guess what? We are now a part of the light of the world. 
Oh, you've heard me preach this already, but I'm just once again showing you how God has put all of these things together. I'm also wanting you to remember and never forget in your mind that the church has not replaced the nation of Israel. That when the church, and we said it already on Wednesday night, but I'm going to repeat it so that you got it, when the church is raptured out, then the Jewish 144,000 witnesses will take up the mantle of the light of the world again, and they will spread the gospel as they go out and preach. And those that have never heard the gospel will hear and respond, and there'll be a great revival, even amid the time of tribulation. And the mantle of the witness of God, of the light of the world, will be taken up by the Jewish people once again. Oh, we in no way or in no wise replace them, but we are given an opportunity, an age of grace, even if you would like to say so, a dispensation, where we would be the light of the world, where we would be the ambassadors for Christ, so that we would share the goodness of God and the light of the world and, uh, and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And that we also would be that light in that God is merciful to us. Amen? And we would speak of the mercies and the goodness of God. And even though we deserve death and hell, when people come and they realize that they're wicked and they're sinful before God, we can share with them that a righteous God has already paid their price of penalty on the cross of Calvary with Jesus Christ. He's paid that price for them. So those that realize that can receive the light of the world. This is what we are. We are the light of the world. Man, I preached way too long on that than I intended. But anyway, there's just a couple things about light that I want you to remember that I put in my notes. So number one, what we're looking at is the seven lamps. We see they symbolize the Jewish people. They, we see that they symbolize the church and its working. But then we have this about light. Number one, light and I use this word, and it might not be the best word, but I still used it. Light informs us. You see, when I'm in the dark, I don't know, do I? I don't know what's in the room. I don't know what's out there. I hear some boys just got back from boys camp. They had a good time, right? They looked really sleepy, okay? I heard some of them were scared of the dark, right? Because they didn't know what was out there. Right? They did not know. But when we shed the light on it, it informs us of what is out there. And the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ informs people, number one, that they are wicked without, apart from God. Right? Men don't like the darkness. Why? Because their deeds are evil. They do not, at first, want to be informed of the fact that their ways are wicked. Why is it that your neighbor, your coworker, the one that you know, why is it that he resists the gospel? Well, because you're telling him that he's wrong. Did you know that? Did you realize that when you live a godly life, you're showing him that you're wrong? Hey, have you ever felt this way? I felt this way this morning. This morning I did something that I don't normally do. I came to church and I dropped Andrea off, and then I went back to Wawa to get a cup of coffee because I just didn't have enough coffee this morning, right? 
I know you find that hard to believe because the one pot I drank at home just wasn't enough. And so I came and then I went and got another cup. I'm going to tell you, maybe it was just me, okay? But I got my shirt and tie on, right? I walk in there and I think that that alone convicts a couple people in there. You know what I mean? I got some looks because you know what? They knew where I was going. I saw another guy in there with his tie on too and I said, We know what's up. And then one couple, you know, they, they, they're all ready to do whatever. And I think that, you know, they don't want to make eye contact with me because they know where I'm going. They know they're not going there. And isn't it the truth in such a simple illustration, but living our life for Christ, living our life separated, holy, right? Going to church, doing those things. It convicts them, doesn't it? A lot of times that's, that's their problem with you, right? Their problem with you is you are informing them of their sin. And they don't want to be around that. But the second thing about that light is not only does it inform them of their sin, but we ought to be able to take the next step where it also informs them of the remedy of their sin, and that's Jesus Christ. They don't have to stay in their sin. They can be forgiven. They can be made whole. So it informs, and that brings us to the second part, but then it comforts us, doesn't it? It's, it's so comforting when the light turns on, isn't it? And you know you're going to make it through the kitchen without stubbing your toe or whatever it is. But there's comfort in light. There's comfort in a fire. There's comfort in those things that bring the light to us, and that's what Jesus Christ has done. He informs us of where we're wrong, but then he lets us know that there's comfort in that. And then also, it's undeniable. I love that about light. Light, you can't stop it. If you turn the light on, you cannot stop it. That's wonderful, isn't it? Anyway, I got to keep preaching. But you're with me tonight, amen? You're the Sunday night crowd. You're in here for the long haul tonight, amen? And I'm not even chasing any rabbits, Dan. We're just preaching, amen? So number one, we see the seven lamps. We see what they represent, what they do. And then we have the oil. The oil is what powers the fire. What I like about that is the oil powers the fire, the lamp, perpetually. You know what? I got one of those kerosene lantern lamps in the basement. You guys remember those with the wick? You turn it, you light it. As long as you got that oil, it just keeps going. When we had that big storm, I lit my kerosene lamp. I put it up on the kitchen table, and there it was. And I love it. It did a great job. And that oil makes it to where you just get that consistent, that constant flame. It's the source of the power of that. Now listen, because this is important as we set all of this up. We understand and we already know throughout the whole Bible and throughout all of it that the oil represents the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that comes and moves with us. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is the fuel. It is the thing that puts it in motion for our light to shine into the world. It makes it consistent. 
it makes it to where it, 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 is, it is all of those things that it is the fuel that drives us. We are not powered by uh, emotions. We are not powered by, by theories, but we are powered by the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that we ought not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but we ought to be moved and motivated by the Holy Spirit. So that it is the Holy Spirit that is the driving force in what we are doing every single day as it motivates us where to go, what to do. We, pre we preached from the book of Acts this morning. It's absolutely amazing when you look at the book of Acts as those men were led on their missionary journeys the only thing they were interested about is where was the Holy Spirit leading us. You remember that? You remember there was times that the Bible says, Paul said, I wanted to go over there, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us. Boy, that's a powerful way, right? That they would be in such communion with the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit would speak to them about the right places and the wrong places to share the gospel. Hmm. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Did you know that they needed that discernment? And so do we. All throughout the book of Acts, we see that those men were bold for Jesus Christ. But sometimes they had to leave town too, right? They weren't bold to the point that they were always putting themselves in danger all of the time. There were times when the Holy Spirit was like, hey, it's time to go. It's time to get out of here. And they were in tune with the Holy Spirit and they understood. It powered them. It motivated them. It did all of those things. It was the fuel. That brings us to the, to the key text of this whole passage of Scripture. And it's, it's verse number 6 of chapter number 4. Because here's the word of the Lord that is to Zerubbabel. He says, Then answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What's Zerubbabel trying to do? He's trying to rebuild the temple. He's trying to get everything back together. He's trying to bring some encouragement to God's people. He's trying to make sure that this group that's hanging on by a thread, that's at their last ends of it, that's probably about ready to turn on him and to turn on the high priest and to turn on to everybody else, he's trying to keep it all together. And the word of the Lord that comes to him as he's trying to keep it all together is saying to him, listen, Zerubbabel, don't think about power. Don't think about might. Realize that everything that you need is going to come from the Spirit and the presence of Almighty God. Listen, as you live your life, you work and you go out and you're trying to live the Christian life, it is not going to come, listen, it's not going to come through figuring out a better way to do it it's not going to come by how many chapters of the Bible you read. It's not going to come by how, how hard you pray on your knees 
or, or how many hours you spend, it is going to come by the Spirit of Almighty God. You're going to seek that. You're going to want that. It might come quick. I don't know about you guys, but have you ever prayed for an answer? And the next thing you know, you got it. You know what to do. You know where to go. You've got peace and everything's good. But other times you agonize over the same kind of situations, but you're seeking the Lord. And he says to Zerubbabel, these are great passages of Scripture. He's like, listen, this is not going to come. Notice what he says this. Verse number six, the second part. Not by might. Not by might. That means by many. He's like, listen, Zerubbabel, I know you're trying to build the temple. I know you're worried about having enough people to do it, but it's not going to happen just because you have a lot of people. He taught Gideon that same lesson, didn't he? He's like, listen, don't worry about who's with you, how many you got. Don't worry about the fact that it's just a remnant that came back to the land. I can do whatever I want with whoever I got. What I'm looking for is some people that are submitted and are absolutely under the control of the Spirit. And then guess what? I can do whatever I want. As I was studying out this passage of Scripture, and as I was listening to sermons that went along with it, there was a great pastor that brought out the fact that guess what? There is all kinds of missionaries who have gone into places of work. Men like Watchman Nee and men like Curtis Hudson who their entire ministries only saw a handful of converts. But guess what? God was using them in mighty, mighty ways to reach places like China. And isn't it amazing that right now, the second largest, the second fastest growing church, excuse me, is the church that is in mainland China. Completely underground, completely illegal to have church that the way they do, but yet it's the second fastest growing church in the world right now. All of because of men like Curtis Hudson and Watchman Nee who labored, and it wasn't because they had many, many converts that they stayed encouraged. It was the Spirit of God that they encouraged themselves in every day. Not by might and not by power. What does he mean by that? It means it's not going to be the powerful moving of one person. It's not going to be the fact that one person's going to come along and do this. It's going to be the fact that God is going to bless his spirit through as he does it. I want to keep moving. He's doing all these. I just wrote down a few words that I want us to think about when we think about the Holy Spirit. I had a lot of stuff as we were looking at them. The oil brings light. The oil brings healing. When you go through the Psalms, you see over and over that oil is applied to the wounds to heal, to bring those things. Man, isn't that wonderful? Also, we know that, uh, uh, like I mentioned, the, the oil is light. But then I want you to think about these words. Indwelling, baptism of the Holy Spirit, motivated by the Holy Spirit, not hindered. Oh, that we would people that would not hinder the working of the Holy Spirit. Boy, that's a big one, isn't it? How often is the Holy Spirit moving and our attitude or whatever takes us away from it? So we've looked, number one, at the lamps. We've looked at the oil. Now let's look at the two olive trees. Then we'll be done. I absolutely love this. 
And I'm not going to go into all of it. You can go and study it. Just like in the previous part, if you wanted to study on oil and the Holy Spirit, you can spend a lot of time doing that. The next one, though, is in the two olive trees. The olive tree is an important tree to the people of Israel. Olive tree creates the olive oil, as we know. Somebody was sharing with me that when you get the olive, I have some in my office that my dad brought from us, is small wooden carvings out of olive trees. They say that it takes 40 years for an olive tree to dry out from all of the oil. That, that much oil that's coming in and is a part of it. And these trees are so important to the children of Israel as a, as a picture of who they are and as a picture of God's blessing in their land and as this picture right here. Because what this represents, and this is the part that hopefully you can think about it on your own and we can put it all together. The part that means the most to me is this is the fact that these trees are an unlimited supply of that oil. Yeah. You're never going to run out need that oil. As a matter of fact, just think about the setup that we've got here. Two olive trees. Fill in the bowls. The pipes go into the lamps. Guess what? Those lights aren't going to go out. They're automatic, right? They're being fed from the source itself of the olive tree. The olive tree is branches coming out and the oil is going into the bowl. The bowl is feeding them. And so we have a constant supply of oil so that the lamps never go out. We have a constant supply of the Holy Spirit. He will always meet our need. He will always fill us. He will always be there. There. The problem is never going to be the source. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. Boy, I don't know about you, but that just, this week just brought me so much comfort. That it will always be there to supply everything I need. It's unlimited. It's without, it's infinite. It's unlimited. God has tapped us into a source that will never, ever run out. Now, he says to us here, then what are these two trees? We understand they're olive trees and they could represent a lot of things, but he's careful and he's specific about what they represent. Look at verse number 14. And again, they have a representation for them. They have a representation for us. God doesn't leave us out. Verse number 14, he says, Then said he, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the, by the Lord of the whole earth. These are the two anointed ones. There is two anointed positions for the children of Israel. You know what they are? One is the king, and one is the high priest. Zerubbabel would have been acting as king and leader for the Jewish people at this time. He's rebuilding the temple. He's overseeing the wall. This is why the word of the Lord comes to here. And they're telling them, they're saying, listen, by this anointed one, Zerubbabel, I am going to flow through the gifts of the Holy Spirit and everything that comes, 
And then the other office that is anointed to them is the high priest. Who's the high priest at that time? Oh, you remember we read about him in chapter number 3. Do you remember that? His name is Joshua. And Joshua and Zerubbabel would have stood before the people as the anointed ones of God, as the emissaries themselves for those people. They would have brought to them the power of the Holy Spirit, the moving of the Holy Spirit. They would have done all of these things so that those could know God and be a part of God. And so you have the high priest and you have the king. That's what they're doing. They are giving the oil as it would come. But you're probably not unfamiliar with that phrase, are you? Of the high priest and the king. Because I can tell you, there is one that is anointed, that God the Father Himself poured out His Holy Spirit on in the form of a dove and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He said His name is Messiah, which means the Anointed One, and He holds the office of priest and king. Who is it? It's Jesus Christ. Why does He hold the prophet, the office of priest? Because He went into the holies of holies with His own blood, placed it on the mercy for atonement and salvation for the sins of the whole world. Why is He a king? Well, He rode into Jerusalem once. They said, Hosanna to the Son of David. But He's going to ride into Jerusalem another time on a white horse. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is the King of kings and Lord of kings. He is a conquering. He is the source from which the Holy Spirit flows. Oh my, isn't it wonderful? God, the Heavenly Father, working the work of redemption through His Son, has now given imparted to us the work of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you comfortless but I will send the Comforter that the Holy Spirit, the oil of it, may come in and light our light, may heal us, comfort us, guide us, and direct us. Oh, that we would be motivated. We would be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. That we would know the indwelling of it that we would seek it every day. Every head bowed, every eye closed. They come and prepare a hymn of invitation. Dear Heavenly Father, use your word. Lord, I'm not sure what you want to do with it. We've covered a lot of ground. Maybe there's someone here tonight and their Christian walk is powerless. They don't feel like a light. It feels empty. The Holy Spirit is the power. Is that what they're lacking? Do they need time alone with you? Do they need to rededicate themselves to fasting and prayer? I don't know. 
I'm going to let your word do what it needs to do. Dear Heavenly Father, it's beautiful in the way it's presented to us. As I've been dwelling with these scriptures and meditating on them, they have been encouraging my heart. Pray that it would do the same. God, help us as we have a time of invitation. Do the work you need to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing. 82. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scars.